Father, we come before you this morning. Help us to be vulnerable. Help us to be authentic. Help us to understand, maybe even embrace our brokenness so that we can allow you into those places that we've been keeping you out of for so long. Father, I know that there are people in this room right now who are in deep pain, who are struggling with things they haven't shared with anybody. And Father, my prayer, the deep desire of my heart is that nobody leaves this place the same. And God, that's only possible with your word and your spirit. We offer ourselves to you, God, the worship team and with this word, but it's only your spirit, it's only your power that changes lives, that changes eternities. So soften our hearts, God. Bring us to that place we can lay at your feet, give it all to you, and leave it there when we leave. So we pray. We ask you, even against our own will, to have your way in this place, to have your way in our lives. You're a way maker. You're a promise keeper. You are a light in the darkness, the only light in the darkness. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Definitely. That was awesome. Is there an echo? From me? No, that was a real... Is there a, Do I have an echo? Is it good now? All right, good. Perfect. All right. Well, this morning I want to begin to, by asking you a question. And that question is this, to start the whole thing off. What if God chooses us, not despite, but because of our brokenness? What if the thing that has hurt you the most and scarred you the most and caused you the most shame, what if Jesus wants to meet you in that place and reveal himself to you in a way that could not be more profound, in a way that could not be more needed? I believe the scriptures make the case for what I said. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You see it in the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So is it not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should not perish? Anybody feel like maybe they're the other one that went astray? Am I the only one? Romans 8.26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
Now see, if you understand sin and you understand the love of God and you understand that sin separates you from that love of God, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Only when you admit to the brokenness, only when you invite Jesus into the brokenness can the potter begin to use the clay. And believe me, and we started talking about this a few weeks ago, we talked about the calling. God wants to do something in your life. He does not just call some of us. And he also doesn't just call you away from your past, but he calls you to a different future. You see, what you most desire is a relationship with your Father in heaven, and he desires that you would seek him with all your heart. Lennon Cohen, the uh, famous composer, said this, He said, we ring the bells that still can ring. Forget our perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. In other words, you know, you do what you can do. Forget, none, none of us are perfect. I mean, that's why Paul says, Paul, the Paul, what we're gonna talk about. That's why he says in the midst, and we talked about you know, pressing on and not that I've already attained this, but in Romans 7, that's why he says, you know, still to this day, I keep doing all, this is my version, this is the summary, I keep doing all the stupid stuff I don't want to do. And the stuff that I really want to do and I know that I should do because it's good stuff, I know that it's good. He doesn't have a question of what's right and what's wrong. He knows that. He says that. He says, I know the law is good, but yet I keep doing all the stuff I don't want to do and the stuff I want to do, I don't do. Because Paul, like all of us, is broken. And even when Christ comes in, we submit ourselves to him and he makes things beautiful, but we're still broken this side of heaven. And so I want to introduce the topic with a video. I don't know how many weeks this is going to go. I'm not really worried about it. But uh, so let's watch the video for the sermon. Father, we come before you and and again, we just ask that you be here with us now. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, spirits to receive. May your truth penetrate, God, through our emotions, through our intellect, into our hearts, where we long for you the most. So have your way, as uncomfortable as that may be, as vulnerable as we may feel, you meet us in those places and you change everything. Father, I know there's more than a few people in this place that need everything changed. And we're believing that you're going to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, the title of the message this morning is God of the Broken. And and one of the most encouraging things, and Jamie and I both seem to share this, but in all my time in ministry, especially in preaching ministry, is that God seems to provide kind of an overall continuity and clarity over the years. Now, I have some pastors that are like, I have my, all my sermons for the whole year done right now today. They're all done. And I'm, I don't, I don't want to be like, well, what if something happens and you don't get to preach any? I'm like, you don't know about tomorrow. That's probably not a good thing to say. But So I'm not that, that I'm not that guy. And, 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 and I, lo- I love to read and I love to preach and teach, but primarily the reason I'm not that guy is because, you know, one of the nice things about a smaller church is you get a sense of what's going on in the body. I mean, I think God, if, if you're the pastor, God will give you a sense of discernment. But I think, you know, as Jamie and I pray, Lord, what, what do we need to hear first? And what are, what are your children? What is this group with this body? What are these people, God, as we shepherd them and love them and pray for them? What do they need to hear? 
And I think God does what we could never do is he speaks to you and there's nothing better to hear than, boy, that message was from me. And so praise God because we get that a lot. Not only do we end up preaching from the same themes of the scriptures, which confirms the unity in the spirit, but God helps us as shepherds to get a real sense. We're prayerful in preparation. But the really cool thing is that not only does the Lord continuously show up weekly in his word, his spirit, and Darren picked up on this and pointed out to me, there has been an overall theme each year, it seems. And without trying to do that, it's cool when, you know, we're just faithful and obedient and God does something so much bigger. And, and just so you know, when you're faithful and obedient, God always does something bigger. Amen? And so without trying to do that, it's encouraging for the Lord to confirm, confirm again and again that he's in our midst. So here's the themes over the years that Darren's kind of observed as God led us and leads us. Over the past, past six years, we started with, with a cease striving sense of be still. There's a limit to what you can do. Cease striving. Sit at Jesus' feet. We went on to immeasurably more, to no better life, to the end of ourselves, to loving people back to life. And finally, and this is where we've been and where we are today, we stumbled upon in the spirit this notion of being fully known and fully loved. An overall sense of both what we long for in, in the deepest places of our hearts and what Jesus wants to provide. And so I want us to look at this longing and, and how and when we tend to become the most aware of it and how that in some very profound sense we can be so changed of God that our tendency, it's funny that our tendency is to try to avoid struggle and avoid trials and strive to remove or ignore or maybe numb ourselves from being uncomfortable. When all throughout Scripture we see people embracing the real potential and struggle. You remember not long ago I said, I was preaching and I just said this. I said, we don't surrender to be done, we surrender to begin. I want to amend that. And I want to add this, but eventually we must surrender. That's the place we all need to come to. Conversion is you surrendering yourself to Jesus. I know sometimes we don't say that, but conversion is more than just you knowing who Jesus is. There are a lot of people who know who Jesus is. Scripture says the devil knows who Jesus is. Scripture, belief, faith, and trust is really saying, I'm going to place my life in your hands, Jesus. I'm no longer in control. And we don't just do that once. We must understand that authentic conversion always involves surrender. And it's really hard to surrender when we're on the top, right? When everything's going right. But, you know, people are like, oh, you know, it's so nice you surrendered to God. Yeah, that's good. I'm like, no, <laughs> it wasn't really that nice. I had nothing left to give. I, I, I had nothing of value. When I surrendered to Jesus, everything was gone. And so it's kind of like, yeah, I don't, I, I got nothing, but if you want me, you can have me. And whatever you have, that's what the case we made with Paul, you really got nothing too. And when we understand that, that's the beauty of that transaction. Because God sees in us the things we can't even see in ourselves. And he makes beauty out of the ashes. So two questions, I want to ground the whole thing by kind of asking two questions now that we're getting into it. I'm only, I'm only going to go for a little bit because you have a meeting today. 
One is what is the biggest needs that humans have, and two is what did and what does God do about that need. Stop and think about it in your own life. What is your deepest need? What is the thing you need more than anything else? Max Lucado said this, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. Luke 2.11, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. 1 Timothy 1.15, it's a trustworthy statement. It's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom whom I am foremost of all. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. I had somebody tell me last week that, uh, you know, they were having a conversation with somebody and the person, they were telling them about the local churches and the person said, well, you know, South Coast Church, there's a lot of, lot of drug addicts go to that church. And I said, next time, praise God is right. So next time somebody tells you that, remind them what Jesus said is the sick I came for, not the sinners. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. I want us to reflect on three stories. And while they have some things in common, there's a lot of differences. One is a thief. We don't even know his name. He was a thief. He was a robber. The good thing is that some, some versions say the good thief or the penitent thief. So he had that amended to his identity, but he was just a thief. Then a terrorist. What do we think of terrorists right now? How many times have you prayed for terrorists? What if God chose one of them? He's done it before. How would you react? How about the woman caught in adultery? And she was literally caught in adultery. Like she was ripped from a room... Can you imagine the shame? Where was the guy? Imagine how bad she felt. And the law said to stone her, that was, that was an appropriate sentence. Can you imagine how she felt realizing that she was before everybody and determined to be guilty? Each of these individuals encountered Jesus and they were profoundly changed. And they were profoundly changed by the things we most avoid. Pain, brokenness, humility. You see, Jesus assures us all throughout Scripture, but we still worry and we still wander and we still want what we should not want. John 16, it's almost like he's pleading with us. I've told you these things again and again, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, in your day-to-day, you're going to have trouble, but won't you remember I've overcome the world? This is a little side note, but it's relevant. You know why people wander away from the faith? Because they fix their eyes on everything except Jesus. That's why. Because they forget where the peace comes from. They forget Jesus' own words. We talked about this with the youth the other day. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since this body has seen Jesus show up again and again, that ought to encourage us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And it doesn't stop there. There's not a period. But instead it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who was the author and the perfecter of our faith. He wrote the story, he's writing the story, and he's going to make the story beautiful. He's going to make the story perfect. And it's not perfect to you or to me, it's so much bigger than that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says this, consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's almost like the Bible knew that people in ministry were going to grow weary and lose heart. And so what's the answer? What are we supposed to do? What do people do? Well, I heard this and I read this and I saw this and I felt this and, you know, my mind told me this and, and what does the Bible say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's why I love when people, I have a problem with the church, I have a problem with Christians, I have a problem with the Bible. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When's the last time you really fixed your eyes on the beauty of Jesus? Let's take a look at each of these encounters, or at least maybe one or two of them. The thief, it's found in in Luke 23, verse 39 through 43. It's actually found in all the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's interesting that only Luke talks about his repentance. And so some people say, well, see, that, that's a discrepancy, and it's not. Chances are they were on the cross for three or four hours. And we know for sure that in the beginning, and, and for a little while, that everybody was rebuking Jesus, including both of the thieves. That they were mocking him, and they were ridiculing him. And so there's good news because a lot of us, maybe outwardly, certainly sometimes inwardly, spent a lot of time mocking Jesus, mocking Christians. I remember my freshman or sophomore year of high school and going into the, the uh, uh, not the auditorium, the dining room and figure out where I was going to sit. And I remember hearing that there was a table full of Christians, and I remember thinking, I need to sit as far away from those people as possible. Now, I ended up in rehab years later, so there could be a lesson there. <laughs> Just saying, throwing it out there. That was probably the table I needed to sit at. I had this innate ability wherever I went to find the worst people. Anybody? <laughs> Don't even go there. Let's read it. Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You know, God, you should be doing what I think you should be doing. Why aren't you doing what I think you should be doing, God? You must not be real. Sound familiar? But the other answered, And rebuking him, saying, do you even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed are suffering suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. You know, one of the real real signs of an authentic conversion is we take ownership of our stuff. We stop blaming everybody else for what we've done. You know, I hear it all the time. I mean, I hear every excuse. It's everybody's fault except us. And here's this thief. And, and this is the end. I mean, he knows it's the end. And after rebuking and after ridiculing and probably seeing Jesus at one point pray for those people, I mean, just think of the power in that. You know, we sensitize scripture. We can't, you know, it's so removed from. But can you imagine sitting there and knowing you're guilty and knowing you're facing death and seeing this man and knowing that he didn't do anything, that he was innocent? And in his pain and in his suffering, he prays for the people that are mocking him and laughing at him. You know how powerful of a testimony that is? And so finally, this man looks at Jesus and he says, remember me. Consider me when you come into your kingdom because he knew who Jesus was. And what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, the sad part of that story is that that's where his life ended. He got to the end and that was it doesn't have to be that way. While even the disciples were abandoning the Lord, while even those who were with him for years were running, I don't know him, I've never heard of him, no, he's not my friend, this thief on the cross answered the call of God. It's never too late. It's remarkable that in this mind-numbing torment, the Son of Man had the heart, mind, and will to pray for other people. Jesus said in Luke 5, 31 through 32, I just mentioned this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The fact that the other thief rejected Jesus is remarkable in its own right. While being tortured himself, he literally joined his torturers in insulting the Savior of the world. And the reason he most likely did that is because he wanted his torturers to think he was just like them. Joining in the world with no love for God. This same man heard him pray. He witnessed the salvation of the other thief. He saw the world go dark. He heard the testimony of the Son, but his pride... His pride alone kept him from submitting to the only one who could save him. That man's life ended that day, but he is with Jesus in paradise despite his past. And how about the terrorist? You know by now who the terrorist was, don't you? Forget about who he was. Here's a better question. Do you know who he was to become? We're talking, of course, about Paul the Apostle the terrorist, the persecutor of the church, a murderer. An encounter with Jesus made all the difference. 
And I'm going to read this story, make a couple comments, and then we'll, we'll stop for today. It's in Acts 9. It says, Now Saul, and just in case you're not sure where his heart was at this, at this time, it says this, Now Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, now, now Saul, still angry and in his own stuff, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Paul's on a mission. Hey, I'm going to be traveling. So you guys give me some papers. That way if I see any Christians, I can wrap them up and take them in. Now, you know, the way God does things, right? If I got this, you know, application on my desk, I would probably be like, yeah, this guy's no good, Jesus. You, you might want to pick somebody else. This, this guy's a little rough around the edges. And it says both men and women is important when it says that. Paul was no, didn't matter. Three, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, he's pleading with Jesus. You know, I don't know if you've heard. I know if you've been on Facebook, Jesus. But this guy's doing some crazy stuff. And I mean, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. But, you know, it'd be good if there was like 10 of us. And this guy's crazy, just so you know. You know, when Jesus told Paul to go... Here we go. Oh, all right. Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine. You think that's just Paul? Do you think that that's not you? I mean, what stops you? You think your past stops you? Paul had a past. Do you have a past like Paul? Kill any Christians lately? Yeah, the enemy's convinced us that we can't be used of God. I can't be an instrument of Jesus because I have a past. Maybe that's exactly why he wants to use you. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up 
and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. And then you know what he did? Saul begins to preach Christ. For several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is not he in Jerusalem who destroyed those of us who called on his name? And who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Paul heard the call of God and Jesus rewrote his story. And no matter who you are, Jesus wants to rewrite yours. We'll get to our third example in the rest of the sermon next week. But as we close in prayer, I just, I just want you to close your eyes. And th- there are things that you've held on to for years, some of you. I can't take those things from you. But Jesus can. He can redeem your past. You know, it's, we're able to teach because of our testimony. We're able to, to testify because of what God's done in our lives. So oftentimes, the things we most want to avoid, the, the things we most want to hide, and the most we want to keep down, the places where Jesus rewrote our story and is still rewriting it. Next week and the week after, we'll talk about the woman caught in adultery and we'll, and we'll unpack this a little bit more and we'll apply it to our lives. But I just want you to pray. Read through this week these, these stories. The thief and of Paul's conversion and the adulterous woman. And just let the scriptures speak to you. But make no mistake, there is not a single person in this room who God is not calling away from something and to something else. He wants to rewrite your story. He wants you to be an instrument of his so that from this day forward, wherever you go, you preach Christ. Not just from what you know, not just from what you've seen, but from what you've experienced. For if any man or woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come, and that changes everything. So, Father, as we close this service, as the worship team gets ready to to play the last song, Father, help these words, your word, penetrate our hearts, change us from within. We don't want to leave here the same way. Father, heal the brokenness, heal the hurts in this place. Draw people closer to you, God. And help us truly realize that it's only in you, that's only when we fix our eyes on you that we experience that peace that surpasses understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we close.